the main problem of Berlin, and it's always will be the problem of Berlin, and that in two months is Cannes. So they clash a bit. Yeah, directors who wants to be in Cannes, if the film is ready, they apply for Cannes, uh. but for Berlin, they never get before Berlin the answer from Cannes. They don't know if they are accepted or not. So you need to risk and to go to Cannes and maybe to stay without any festival or to go to Berlin. Hello, dear listener. This is Edgar Dubrovsky. Welcome to Open Filmmakers Talk podcast. This week, I talked to Anton Dolin, the biggest film critic in Russia, a great thinker, great analyzer of all things film. Anton has been in the business for about two decades now, writing books, being chief editor Art of Film magazine, the oldest film criticism magazine in the world. is friends with many directors. We're going to discuss if that influences his decisions and how he reviews their films. I'm going to talk why some films win awards and some don't. What's the process of writing a critical piece and what festivals to start with as a first time festival goer. But I actually start conversation mentioning his list he wrote about 10 years ago now of top 10 films ever made for the Sight and Sound Greatest Films Ever list, which they do every 10 years. And I'm gonna read the list out, set his broad taste. It's no, no particular order, it's alphabetical. A Razor Head by David Lynch, The Idiots by Lars von Trier, Mirror by Andrei Tarkovsky, My Friend Ivan Lapshin by Alexei German, Ordered by Carl Theodor Dreyer, The Phantom of Liberty, Louis Pugnuel, Psycho Alfred Hitchcock, The Seventh Seal by Ingmar Bergman, Siegfried by Fritz Lang. But then there is this tenth film, and that's where I start the conversation. His tenth film is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom by Steven Spielberg. Well, uh, I think it's totally absurd to choose 10 best films. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, if it's 100 uh, or 200, it's okay for me. If it's uh, 50 films, I can imagine that. I did once uh, in Radio Mayak, where I worked for 10 years, programs every week, 100 films you have to see before you die. My rule was uh, one film by one director. It was really difficult even to choose all directors I wanted to choose. When uh, you're telling someone that uh, this film is brilliant film, you're not trying to say that objectively it is a masterpiece for everyone. It doesn't exist. So you think it's, it's subjectivity, just... that critic is subjective totally, always. Totally. So uh, maybe not all our listeners knows this, but uh, I was raised in the uh, 80s and 90s in uh, Soviet Union in Moscow. It means... For me, after the fall of Soviet Union in the year 91, a few years after this, the whole uh, story of film of all times were discovered at the same time. Because you couldn't watch it before, basically, behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah, it it wasn't released in cinemas. So now in pirate videotapes, VHS, you could see everything. And you could discover in one day for you, what is it? Stanley Kubrick. What is it, David Lynch? What is it, Steven Spielberg? What is it, Federico Fellini, for instance? It can be all in the same moment. There were a few films uh, which impressed me the most at these times. And uh, basically, Indiana Jones and Steven Spielberg started for me with Temple of Doom. And I think with this film, I was like maybe 16 or something like this, 17. 
15, I understood for the first time that uh, cinema is a movement. That cinema is a permanent movement uh, towards something. You're running to get something or to run away from something or from someone. Never mind. And actually, the story, the characters, not important as the movement is. So for me, this film is a perfect confirmation of this idea. More sort of a, the, the perfect escapism to some extent. Uh, also, but when I watched for the first time, I think it was the same years, uh, Star Wars, Total Escape. I was stunned by artificiality of all of this. It was like a children's uh, game. Nice and uh, easy and uh, really for small kids. Uh, yeah, but that's what some actors believed. Yeah, I spoke to yeah, Mark yeah. Hamill and he said, we thought we're filming a Christmas sort of a film for kind of teenagers maybe. They, no one ever thought this is going to be Star Wars, Star Wars. Absolutely. I have nothing against it and I love Star Wars. Can I jump in here to ask you a little bit more to widen that sort of criticism point? Because then I looked at the list of the actual hundred selected by overall critics, and I guess they made some sort of system of points. So they produced this list, which always, I think forever they made them, always is stopped by Citizen Kane. And there is not a single Spielberg film. I checked today. In the critics list, not a single, not even his like the world famous, I don't know, Jaws or something like, you know, those kind of like the classic Spielberg ones. So... Do you believe, because you watch insane amount of world cinema. I think you watch like probably 80% of what you watch is sort of world cinema in 20s blockbusters from, from the feeling. Do you feel its critics have a sort of like a sneer eye? Oh shit, this is like blockbuster and this is like art house. So this is always better than blockbuster. I'm afraid uh, th this is the idea. The old cinema is always more important for critics than the new cinema. And the uh, art film are always more important than... And uh, Citizen Kane is an art film by definition. This is the incarnation of art film. And Spielberg is something totally opposite to it. It seems, but for me, uh, actually, Spielberg is uh, the closest American director to Kubrick. Mm -hmm. Who is, for me, the American director number one? For me, American cinema is Kubrick. It's just, I don't know which Kubrick's film would I put in such a list because uh, I have different favorite uh, Kubrick movie every year or maybe even. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I love uh, all Interesting films. you consider him American. I think all the Brits are like, Whoa. No, 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 no. <laughs> Well, uh, I mean... Possibly Clockwork Orange is a British film. Yeah. And maybe you can consider... But most of, it, most of it is created in England. He just never flew. Like, you know, uh, the world famous kind of Vietnam is somewhere like... It is like a match factory somewhere in Hemel Hempstead. I know. In the, I know. But why would you anyway, say he's American? Anyway, for me, it is American. And uh, Space Odyssey is an American movie. I don't care where and how it was produced. It doesn't matter. Because uh, it's his American sensibility, which is inside this film. He mm -hmm. could live in Thailand uh, or Taiwan. It doesn't matter. It's not important. What's American sensibility? Well, uh, it should be grandiose. It's very formal. And Americans, uh, when they do cinema, they really cannot divide the genre film from art film. Mm -hmm. And some greatest American filmmakers... They are uh, not aware of this uh, kind of uh, definition. De definitions, mm -hmm. like uh, Coen Brothers, Big Lebowski. Is it art house film or is it a comedy? 
or Fargo? Is it a police story or comedy or black comedy or is it art film? Uh, mm -hmm. How can you say? Even Pulp Fiction. Uh, what is Pulp Fiction? Is it art film or is it a criminal comedy of a sort? Or David Lynch? Uh, is it uh, some naive Bonnie and Clyde uh, road movie, Wild at Heart, or maybe Blue Velvet? Uh, is mm -hmm. it a crime story, mystery story? Or Twin Peaks, it's an uh, ideal example of something uh, created uh, for big audience and totally art house at the same time. And you feel Americans do it better, this sort of blend? No, it's different. Americans do it the best. Some Asian cinematographers, some Asian filmmakers, Directors. they're mm -hmm. able to do the same. Asian. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Miyazaki work, what is it? Or mm -hmm. Kurosawa mm -hmm. work, what is it? Or Takeshi Kitano. Is it for a big audience or is it art house? You know, Spirited Away, it's a festival winner and Oscar winner and the most popular Japanese film ever. Parasite, it's an Oscar winner and uh, it's a Palm d'Or winner. And it's a totally understandable black comedy made for big audience and the most popular Korean film ever. Or John Ford or Take uh, Houston or... Spielberg, Spielberg, again, going back to Spielberg, it's a big auteur, and in mm -hmm. the same time, and uh, E.T., or Close Contacts, or Empire of the Sun, it's uh, deeply personal films. I saw once a list uh, of the most uh, Jewish films, uh, and E.T. was on top of it, and I agree. <laughs> At the same time, it's a is it sort of escaping as an alien running away yeah, from the... <laughs> he's lonely, he's escaping from... Uh, you know, it makes sense. At some time in Russia, they were also able to make this blend of art blockbusters. Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, all films of Eisenstein are like this. So big, grandiose, Absolutely. massive scenes. And very avant-garde at the same time. Even early Tarkovsky is like this. Mm -hmm. But with a, a mirror, he's ending this period and he's becoming a European filmmaker. Mm -hmm. In Europe, it's very divided. It's very different. Can you talk me through the process of writing a critical piece on film? So you watch a film, then what? How does it work? Do you think of the piece as watching it or afterwards? Well, you can't help but you think about the film when you're watching it. But... Uh, I think it's something banal to say, but uh, what you want from piece of art, any mm -hmm. piece of art and mm -hmm. uh, film as well, you want two kinds of responses. Uh, you want emotional response and you want intellectual response inside you, I mean. So ideally, in a good film, you get both, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get on only intellectual answer. So it's interesting to watch, but you're not touched personally. Sometimes it can be a very uh, simple film and you're really touched but it's primitive. Uh, you can even cry watching it, but uh, you can have nothing to say about it, uh, about its deepness, because it's not deep. But when two factors are there, it means that it's a great film. When you are touched and afterwards, you can stop thinking about it. You watch film like every other person watches it. Just maybe you have bigger critical luggage. Uh, you mm -hmm. have uh, in mind uh, millions of other films. But many people are not critics, and they're mm -hmm. watching even more films than me, so it's not uh, necessarily the quality of critic uh, comparing. But it's good to compare, to, to have uh, this uh, context in your mind. Uh, 
oh, this is film, it's similar to that one, but it's better or worse or, you know. And then the work of critics starts when the film uh, finished. So you don't sort of start thinking as watching, okay, I'm going to write about this. You, you sort of disassociate and you just watch the piece. Very rarely I can think about some idea or metaphor I can use and I write it down in my telephone mm -hmm. or in my notes. But in 90% of cases, I just watch. There are two types of reviews I write. The first type is what I do daily. It's my reviews on radio, on TV, on website Medusa. When I uh, write or I tell you what film about, uh, who, who is acting, who is director, is it good or bad, uh, I just need to watch film for this. But the uh, second kind of review is when I'm writing something solid like a big article for my magazine, Film Art, or even a book. In this case, I need to watch film twice or maybe three times and making notes. I'm making this uh, mechanically, automatically, not thinking about what I'm writing. I'm just writing something. But it's, it should never be the first time. The first time I just watch. I can and should and I want to be just a part of audience when I see the film for the first time. So it's not start of my work. My work is starting afterwards. Sometimes with a second screening, sometimes with just thinking and writing. And does uh, your view change? Say first, second, third? You sort of thought of the film first, have a day off, watch it again. Do you often change or you sort of set whether you liked it or not liked it or, or is anything no, critical no, I, to say? I'm, uh, I'm set, uh, do I like it or not? And I always write big reviews and seeing film for the second or third time only if I like the film. Ah, okay. And if it's for me, it's a bad film, it doesn't deserve the time and work uh, I can invest to it. Well, sometimes, but very rarely, I'm writing big pieces on bad films. But really rarely, believe me, it's really two, three times in my life I did this. I would say you're a pretty kind reviewer because I think you hate the whole star system, one to five and all the numbers yeah, and all of that. Yeah. You tend to be more uh, of an analytical reviewer. I, that's why I enjoy reading you because sometimes even if the film is shit, you sort of delve into the shitness of it. Why maybe it ended up not so good or where could it be improved or I don't know you're sort of one of the few who doesn't care about the numbers of the criticism if that makes sense well no one wants to make a, a bad film everyone uh, just uh, shooting good films everyone is good everyone believe that uh, he or she is doing a good thing so it's interesting to go deeper into their understanding of what they're doing why they're doing it this way for example, I don't want to name this director because he's not someone important, but there is a director who is, for me, a perfectly bad director uh, working in Russia. And uh, I uh, wrote, actually, a big, deep article about his work. And I read a couple of his interviews where I can just see that he can't understand cinema. Mm -hmm. His judgment about other people's films are very superficial, like a judgment. It's not because he's saying about something that I consider good, that it's bad. He's just not able to understand the mechanics of work. And it's an anecdotal case, just like Ed Wood uh, in uh, Tim Burton film. Yeah. I, I don't know about the real Ed Wood. But this film is just like a child uh, who is enjoying himself. Do you give a bit of a discount 
to debut directors? Because I'm sure a lot of guys oh, yeah. listening are young filmmakers or breaking into. What's your system when you watch a debut? Well, absolutely. I'm trying to be uh, really a, like a, a good... Uh, I have a formation uh, in my university as a teacher, school teacher. So I'm trying to be a school teacher for people who are making uh, first film. I'm trying to say, this is maybe wrong. This is your strongest uh, places. Uh, you need to... It's not a direct advice, of course. But uh, uh, you're not saying that your film is bad because you shouldn't do this. You're saying maybe the next time you should uh, work more on the choice of actors, let's say, or about script. Uh, or maybe you are great, but you shouldn't uh, write your screenplay alone. You should invite someone to help you. Sometimes it's like this. I need to tell you that uh, when director is someone we don't know, when he's a debut director, there should be a reason why you're writing about him. So, but let's say let's say you're at a festival, you're the Berlin or Cannes or Venice where you go. You're not ri- writing about every film, never. Okay. The festival, I'm watching like around 40, 50 films in 10 days. You're able to write during the festival about maximum 10 films. So if among this film is... Some it feels you write more usually, the Cannes. The can. Well, maybe, maybe a little more. But no, the deep review could be about one film. When okay. you write a review about two, three films... A day, uh, you work, mean? Yeah. It's work, yeah, it works only for one day. Because okay. uh, the next month, you will never explain uh, your audience why these two films are in the same text. Because mm-hmm. uh, they were shown the same day at Cannes, who cares? I mean, only in Cannes someone uh, cares. So I write uh, one article by one film. In one day, it's uh, my maximum. Okay, uh, but let's say, have you watched any debuts on Berlin, Venice, yes, Cannes yes. the last I'm couple years? I'm watching debuts every and time. Ca- can I ask you, for those who don't know, we're friends and this is just a heated discussion. Like, this is normal way we talk. That's really interesting to me because I know some directors get so damaged by the first wave of reviews. If they're lucky, they got to, like, say, London Film Festival, you know, which is not massive, but it's one of the bigger festivals say British directors can get in. And then the first wave comes and they're like, oh, fuck, I don't want to make any films again. I guess, like, I'm just not good. Like, that's the end of it. Yes, I got to the festival, but then it's kind of hard, hard because you sort of let the film go because I'm a cinematographer. I can... I'm sort of a bit more objective because I'm not involved in creating it like for six years and then fucking promoting it for two years. So I'm just there for the shoot and maybe a bit for post. So while watching it, do you know it's a debut? Do you always have certain filters? Okay, this is a debut, so I have to be a bit more careful. Wait, we talk about you watching it on a big festival, so not just like a random film sent to you. Well, uh, there are many filters. The first filter, if the film is chosen, it means the first film chosen for the big festival. It means it should be interesting film, at least interesting. The second filter, if it's put in some secondary program, you should have me. I mean, the reason to go and see it. Because you only have time in the festival to see all competition program. It's minimal 20 films. So from other programs, you need to choose. If you're choosing the debut film, should be a reason. An actor, Mm -hmm. a producer, a theme, a subject, something. So there is already, before you see the film, you have reasons why it's interesting probably to see it. 
and to write about it. Some of my colleagues, they also work as selectors of some micro festivals, small festivals. So they just go and see everything. Sometimes but also they don't have to write. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Some of them do, mm. but uh, not all of them. So for me, I have already my reasons. And then I go and see. And if it's a disappointment, sometimes I can even uh, leave the audience uh, before it ends. Mm -hmm. But uh, normally I watch it uh, till the end. I try to watch all films I start to watch, to watch it till the end. If the film is interesting, if it's so interesting that I choose to write about it, I'm already favorable toward this film, you know? So you would so, just not do it just to say, oh, it's a bad film. There's no point. You're just, first of all, harming absolutely. it. And there's no point in spending your time doing it, right? You know, some people uh, blame it for being too kind in my reviews but it's not because or not only because i'm a kind person maybe i'm not a kind person at all i just really for majority of uh, time i i don't see a reason to go deeper to work on a bad film to write about bad film sometimes the only reason to write about it is because it's dangerous somehow mm -hmm. let's say it's a propaganda film and it's in every cinema in every theater and it's really bad. So you need to tell people, don't go see it, it's bullshit, it's not a real cinema. Sometimes. But it's a rare case. Normally, people, they can feel even before the film release, because it's really rare when shitty film have a huge revenues, when he's really successful. For majority of cases, it means that the film is not really bad. It's just not for you. Just like, I don't like uh, films of uh, this Pirate of Caribbeans. Mm -hmm. I love blockbusters, but these blockbusters I don't like, or I don't like Transformers. But I cannot dare to say that it's a bad film, because it has its audience, it has its style, you can recognize this style, and this style, this story, these characters, it works. So it's more interesting to try to discover and to understand these mechanics, even if it doesn't work for you personally. So you cannot write just a bad review you know, uh, laughing, uh, they idiots, everyone who made this film, everyone who watched this film. It doesn't make any sense in, in this process. You spend your time, your energy to say someone that he's an idiot. Why? Why? If people are really idiots, they, will, they would never understand you. If they're not idiots, they will be offended for no reasons. <laughs> if they are not idiots. That's so yeah. good. Um, that's great. A good shift towards propaganda and films in Russia. I'm not going to ask you about, obviously, the propaganda films and the government-sponsored films. There's too many, and not all of them are propaganda at all. There's great pieces coming, supported by the Russian Ministry of Culture, and it's absolutely normal way to make low-budget or art-house stuff, which, you know, never going to find investors. What I want to ask you, because for those who don't know Anton and those who maybe not Russian, he's like... I would say minor to medium-sized celebrity by now in Moscow because of TV presence on the main TV channel every week. He does like a little segment on the best films to watch this week, a radio presence, a massive presence on Facebook, which is very big in Russia. Russians love kind of written text, so Facebook is still massive there. My question is, with that amount of power, and I think you know you have quite a lot of power in terms of this distribution success of films in Russia, does it dawn on you? Does it press on you that you know the way you will review a major release coming up this week, could be American release, is going to impact it quite a lot if you suggest to watch it or not suggest it? Do you ever sort of think about it? 
Yes, I do, but uh, I don't think uh, any critic, me or any other critic, can be really influential in terms of deciding the fate of the film. The publicity helps the first weekend, and then the second weekend, people start telling each other is it good or not, and it works like this. So mostly my opinions are important when people go out of the cinema and then they read what I think about it. Because mm -hmm. the influence, not of my judgment, but of my analysis, it's real. Only for people who are interested in analyzing things they see on screen. It's not majority, clearly. From the other hand, uh, I... Uh, sometimes uh, in some medias where I work, I'm there only to say... This weekend, you should go and see this film or these two films. So for me, this is easy. I'm just choosing film I liked. If it's something objectively great, it's not me. I'm stating something obvious. It's obvious for me, but for some people, they don't know about it. Or if it's some kind of uh, film which is not so big, like I did with Parasite, because uh, Korean film before Oscar, no one uh, care about it. And I try to say to everyone, go and see it. It's interesting. And many people want to see it because of my judgment. So I'm helping films, which I consider good. And yeah, not... I watched, uh, you gave it four out of four stars in Cannes um, Screen International panel you are part of. So yeah, you kind of jumped on it quite early after the premiere, basically. This is uh, uh, the second case uh, in my critical career where I'm really proud for director. Uh, he, he don't know about me. It's just uh, my in internal feeling. I know uh, for years someone, and I know that this someone deserves to be very successful. Yeah, because even in the list, this list I shared, I checked this morning, there was a snowplower, I think it's called in English. Yeah, snowpiercer. Uh, yeah. yeah, same director. So I, I kind of noticed you were probably his sort of a fan for a bit before he became a superstar on Instagram. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to ask a, a question from Kale Ina. Let's do the Anton in short. In one minute, can you answer this question? Can you help me understand why totally misleading movie Parasites showing hard-working people as parasites got so awarded? Uh, I think uh, you just get it wrong. All people in this film are not bad people. And in the same time, all of them are parasites. You just uh, grew up pro probably somewhere not in Soviet Russia like me. But for me in my childhood, parasite, it was a word for capitalists. Capitalists are the parasites. So for me, obviously, parasites are the rich family. For many people who grew up in a capitalist country, Parasites instantly is uh, the poor family. And uh, one of my colleague, uh, very talented colleague, uh, he wrote a nice thing about the film. When you start watching it, Parasites are the poor family. Then Parasites is a rich family who is using poor family, who is lying, but lying to survive. And in the end, you understand that the main Parasite is audience. Audience are the Parasite because they put themselves in a position to laugh at other people who are different from you, who is uh, upper than you, lower than you, and uh, you're trying to be in a good position. But anyway, whatever, where you are, it doesn't important. It's about you as well. So the parasitic nature of cinema, of art, is shown in this film. That's why it's also a film about cinema, like all great films are, from Citizen Kane to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
all these films are about cinema, not only about people and what's going on with these people. Parasite as well. So you go to Berlin, you go to Cannes, you go to Venice. For someone like me, and because of calendar clashes every year, I can't make any of these festivals. For like last five years, I'm trying. What's the best festival to start with? What's the advice you would give to young filmmakers? Which one to go for? Well, first of all, for young people who's uh, from 18 to 28, I think, the best way is to apply to Cannes uh, a young program. They have special program. You write a letter, and if you win, you get a free accreditation, free badge for three days. And in these three days, there's a special program in special cinema where you can watch uh, the material. Uh, yeah, my brother. My brother did yeah. it. That's how he got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. This is a great system because it's favorable, it's specially for you. And you can see it, you can see the festival, and in three days, you don't have this intoxication. You can come back uh, at home. If not this program, to go to Cannes for the first time, having a, not a good badge, it's very important in Cannes, the level of your badge. Maybe mm -hmm. too frustrating. So in this case, it's better to start with Venice because Venice is very relaxed. The quality of films comparable to Cannes. Well, every year when I'm uh, making my list of 10 best films of the year, the four or five films are from Cannes, two mm -hmm. or three from Venice. And the rest, it's uh, Berlin or no festival films. But majority of art films, they are anyway at the festivals. We had a chat with you recently that there is a change of guard at the top level of some festivals, including Cannes, was it? The new director stepped in? Berlin. Berlin, sorry. Would you say there's also slight kind of different tastes to each festival? Well, the main problem of Berlin, and it's always will be the problem of Berlin, and that in two months is Cannes. So they clash a bit. Yeah, directors who want to be in Cannes, if the film is ready, they apply for Cannes. Uh. But for Berlin, they never get before Berlin the answer from Cannes. They don't know if they are accepted or not. So you need to risk and to go to Cannes and maybe to stay without any festival or to go to Berlin. It's really a complicated choice. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a choice by studio. Studio wants to release film before Cannes, let's say in April. So Berlin, it's a great place and a case to, to show the film. Also in Berlin, they show and sometimes award some two, three important films from Sundance because it will be international premieres of American films, ah, okay. international premiere in Sundance. The great film by Eliza Hitman won a Grand Prix in Berlin recently. Silver Bear, the film is uh, never, rarely, sometimes, always. A great mm -hmm. film, one of the best in the year for me. So the problem of Berlinale is always uh, come. And Venice is better because that's why the festival is more interesting. Because many producers and directors want to show their film in uh, Venice because it's the last huge European festival before Oscar season will start. So it's important. I see. So they sort of there. time it as a, as a jump a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also at the same time than Toronto. And normally the lineup of Toronto and Venice very close. But mm -hmm. Toronto has no competition, no prizes. So it's a bet if you're going to win a prize or not win a prize. If you win a prize, it will help. Like it helped Joker. But uh, if you go to Toronto, you don't have this risk. But you can go both Toronto and Venice, no problem. So the majority of program is same films. 
If you're based in America, it's, of course, more comfortable to go to Toronto. But always there are five to ten films in Venice which are not shown in Toronto. And normally it's a very art house, radical, interesting films. Sometimes Asian, sometimes European, but something you will never see on big screen uh, in America. And tell me, like for someone who goes for a festival first time, they don't really know how to pace themselves, what's the speed and how to watch it. Do you have any advice, like, I don't know, three life hacks, how to select even the films? How do you sleep? Like, what's the main things to well, know? Uh, first life hack, uh, you should really carefully read your program, festival program of screenings before you start. Not trying to see it on place. And uh, you should read carefully competition list. Because sometimes the name of director will not tell you anything. Then you will realize that it's the guy or the girl who directed this and that. So mm -hmm. just Google it. Just see which films can be interesting for you. On the website, before the festival, will be the short synopsis, uh, the names of directors. So you can watch it. What is it? If you don't know how to shoot the films, just try to follow competition. Don't try to see films uh, out of competition. Out of competition films, it's normally films with big stars or by big director stars. Because not good enough to be in competition. I see. Competition. That's the first hack. Uh, yeah. When do and, you sleep? <laughs> well, just uh, try to decide what is more practical for you. To watch films in the morning or in the evening. Because normally the same films are showing in the morning. Two, three mm -hmm. films of the day. There are screenings from 8 or 9 a.m. till, uh, let's say, 1 or 2. And screenings from 4 or 5 till midnight. The same films. I mean, in the morning, this film are shown for press. In the evening, official screenings. And the next day, in the morning, it's repetition screenings. Mm -hmm. So that's the easier ones to get to, yeah, right? Of course. It depends. Uh, for Joker, it was a big problem to get into repetition films. For some films, it's a problem. But never mind. So just uh, decide what's better for you personally. If you're trying to see three films in the morning, three films in the evening, it can be devastating. Just try to find time to relax, uh, to drink wine. If you're in Venice, to go swim maybe, or to go to San Marco Square, uh, to spend an hour there, or maybe even to sleep, because it's good to have these breaks. Because if you will, uh, for the first time going to the festival, if you will watch films uh, from morning till the evening. On the second day, you can just fall. It can be a nervous break. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, uh, of course. You don't, yeah. you don't need this. True. And the uh, third uh, idea, just try to offer yourself uh, some contrasts. If you're interested in uh, major studios and big names, big directors, just find for yourself in a program, let's say, five film made by someone or made somewhere i mean in africa let's say like people uh, between sushis they eat uh, a small piece of ginger you know maybe these small films will be more interesting i saw many times people who love big american films they go to festival but this year festival is not good let's say for hollywood films and this person go and see all 10 Hollywood films, then go back disappointed, saying it was a bad festival. Because never try to see something else. Something else. Something mm -hmm. different. Great thing about festival is differences. 
that you can see the opposites in the same day. It could be three films very different. Try learn to enjoy it, to see something totally opposite. You know a bunch of directors, and you know them personally because you wrote books on them. For example, I know you you work with Jarmusch and you work with Lars von Trier quite closely. Does that affect your view of their films because you have this sort of first link source to them? Well, yes, possibly, probably. But uh, to write book about someone, you need to really love their work because you have to see their films like three, five, ten times and never get sick of it. You need to love it. And when you love something deeply, when you watch next uh, film of this director, it's just like going on the birthday of your childhood friend. Uh, he or she can be, you know, ill or in a bad mood, uh, but you will love them anyway. It's not because so, your friend... So nothing can disappoint you in uh, Lars von Trier, <laughs> even the bad No, movie. no. Uh, the good example is last Jarmusch film, Dead Don't Die. Many people hated the film. I really enjoyed it because I recognized Jarmusch in every frame. Uh, it was a big pleasure, like meeting old friend. Really, I cannot dislike this kind of film because I'm only writing about books about auteur cinema. By definition, it's a personal expression of what they think about world, about uh, human beings uh, and so on. For Trier, uh, he, we think really close. Uh, the same thing about uh, construction of the world. So uh, for me, it's just like uh, reading my personal diary that I forgot when I'm uh, watching new Last One Career film. Everything I'm thinking uh, in my head when I'm watching from Career, it's just like, yes, I agree. Yes, I agree again. I agree with this as well. Mm -hmm. I cannot disagree with it. Well, I can possibly, but it never happened. Uh, so it's not because they. It's uh, the pink pink glasses, Anton, of uh, yeah, of yeah, love, perfect. love of Trier. No, I'm joking. Of course, I understand what you mean. If you're sort of in sync with someone, and most of it is in sync, like and little things stop mattering. I think it's yeah, totally logical. Couple questions. I have one was from Xenia, who's a producer and actually agent in LA. I know her. Uh, personally. So she says about criticizing and writing criticism on documentaries. How do you determine if a documentary is good? Because you have some in your list of top 30 films of the decade. Well, listen, I'm not a specialist. First of all, I'm not watching a lot of documentaries. I'm watching maybe 10 documentaries every year. It's not a lot, of course. But great filmmaking have same rules. When I'm watching great film, it's not because the actors are great. Sometimes actors are really bad, but the film is great. It's also happened. It doesn't matter. It's like uh, paintings. Sometimes you're watching Rembrandt, and it's important if it looks like a real person, the painting. Sometimes you're going to other museum and you see Basquiat or Picasso. And it's great because it's not looks like a real person. So every film has uh, its own rules. You need to define rules and then to judge if by its rules film is good or bad so documentaries same you watching it and you feeling something and you think of something if you're not feeling something and if uh, there's no thoughts if just some piece of life that someone wants to show you it doesn't work for you so it's bad at least for you and it's good if it's interesting it should be interesting can it be and that the, you don't agree with the rules set well, uh, it's just it's not your cinema. For example, I don't like Errol Morris. He's a great filmmaker, 
I never wrote. Uh, I didn't know that, Anton. This is over. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for calling. <laughs> I can't believe you don't like Errol Morris, one no. of the greatest documentarians in his yeah. rules. In his rules. So just uh, ahead, talking for an hour, just like you right now. That's exactly <laughs> why we're I... watching Errol Morris now, basically. Yeah. Now you're gonna tell me you killed someone. It's... No, it's it, it's just a reason why I, uh, I said his name. Yeah. Because he's obviously a great uh, filmmaker. His world is not close to what I uh, consider be good uh, in cinema. He's mm -hmm. too direct for me. And I want uh, to see in films... A bit something, more layers. Mm -hmm. Something uh, hidden. So even Michael Moore with his uh, idiosyncratic uh, humor is closer to what I think. I can disagree with him, but his filmmaking is something that I enjoy. Even when I disagree with Michael Moore person, you know. I have a question quite decent from Asselin Gu11. Uh, do critics have a power of influence on producers' choice to purchase a certain film at a festival? Yes, yes it happened to me a few times, but only uh, about small films, of course. When I uh, write uh, the really great review, I mean, not the text is great, but I'm saying that the film is great. Sometimes uh, distributors, uh, after this, going, to buy the film. It happened to me maybe 10 times uh, that I know. Maybe some other times they, they didn't tell me. Coffee and Cigarettes by Jarmusch was bought like this way. And then it became uh, the hit of art house distribution in Russia. It even won some prize uh, for the quantity of sold uh, tickets for one screen. For an, oh, wow. So, I mean... So uh, there is some power. But I'm, I'm not trying to say that I know something about distribution because... But I basically understand. there is. The influence for sure, for especially smaller films, I guess, there is. Only for smaller films. Yeah, because they're not purchased yet. Someone asked about the greatest American director right now. Well, it's uh, really hard to choose one, but if I need to choose one, it's David Lynch. I believe uh, there are only three uh, people uh, in cinema nowadays who I personally can consider as a geniuses. Uh, last one to hear, Hayao Miyazaki and David Lynch. Three persons. So if I should uh, name one person, it's him. But uh, there are many other great directors, P.T. Anderson and the uh, Coen brothers and uh, Quentin Tarantino, especially after his last film. Uh, they all are really not just good, but great, 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 great filmmakers. In your books, what does it constitute? Is it the line of films that most of the films are great? How do you become great in your book? Well, it's not a simple question. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think there are steps. You start with watching one film. It should impress you a lot. Then you start watch other films and you ask yourself question, was it a coincidence? Was it just a great film or it's just a, a great a filmmaker who making these kind of films? Then you need to find if this guy or girl have a vision, vision and style. And then afterwards, you try to discover the philosophy under this vision because it's not enough to have a vision for being a a great filmmaker. You can be a great painter and have only a vision and a style, not philosophy. But philosophy is essential for someone who's telling stories. Because and you mean uh, you have to be told something new? It has to be something to well, hold uh, in interest? 
you just have to be told something mm-hmm. that you don't know. And that's what you call philosophy. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So if you have vision and philosophy, if it can be influenced enough to influence people, it works. It mm-hmm. means you someone, you're really mm-hmm. on the top. The only other test you should pass, it's test of time. If it stays like this for a long time, it means uh, you a great filmmaker. Because when we're watching now Kubrick or Buñuel or Fellini or Bergman, uh, we see that everything, every idea is still here. This is essential. And that means the philosophy was probably over the style. Yeah, I think of course. That's what yeah, I see yeah. these days, a massive shift to style, massive shift of scripts I'm getting or, or films even I see on some smaller festivals like here or somewhere in Europe where I can catch them. Is philosophy is dying art, it seems. Well, I have nothing against style. Style is great. You should have a style uh, to be someone, not to be just a part of some movement or industry. But I believe uh, when you're doing art and when you're doing cinema, you have to have something to tell people. I have this book in my hands, which you gifted to me when you were in London, which is called How to Watch Cinema. It's a great little quick summary of all of your, I think, ideas about how to enjoy the process. Of course. I love the way you described to me, and I want you to repeat it in English. I want to watch a film tonight. What do you suggest? What do you answer to that? You should uh, talk to yourself or to people with who you want to watch the film. This is a small quest. You should not only fill the questionnaire, but you need to write down the questionnaire for yourself. So what do you feel now? Are you lonely? Are you uh, satisfied by your life? Uh, do you want to go outside? Do you want to stay in home? Uh, are you afraid of something? Uh, uh, what do you want? I know that it's a hard question, but it can be fun as well to uh, ask this question and to find an answer. Sometimes the film is the answer. But uh, when uh, you ask yourself this, uh, some questions, sometimes it's one question, sometimes it's like 10 questions, you can like mathematically understand what do you need to see tonight. Sometimes it's very different films. Tonight you want to see David Lynch and tomorrow it will be Indiana Jones and after tomorrow some Japanese anime. It doesn't matter. But uh, you should see something that you need to see, not something that the film critic told you to see. And you mean, so to balance what you're missing, right? That's your philosophy to sort of fill that puzzle gap. Yeah. Great. Anton, massive, massive thanks to you for agreeing to do this and taking time out of your weekend at home, like we all are. But, you know, I know you continue working on on radio and TV. It's part of your job and spreading the, the happiness and knowledge and interesting new films to watch. I'll post the list of 30 films I translated from the best of the decade. And massive thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Anton Dolin. Next week, I talk to Matthew Libatique, the amazing cinematographer behind films like Pi, Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, Black Swan, Mother, and The Star is Born. Two times Academy Award nominated, Matthew's unique in a sense, shooting not only massive blockbusters and big-budget art films in Aronofsky, but also smaller art pieces by Alex Prager, for example. So we'll discuss all sorts, from his humble beginnings and the way race has influenced his career, to his recent involvement in arts, shorts. Subscribe not to miss, and um, see you next week.